Praise the Lord. Praise him, praise him, praise him. All right, today we're going to continue on a sermon that uh, I started last week called Removing Limitations on Forgiveness. Amen. Removing Limitations on Forgiveness because sometimes we kind of have in our mind like, okay, well, somebody does this or that, I'll forgive them. Or somebody does something to me a certain number of times, I'll forgive them. But once they get to that magic number, whether it's three offenses or uh, a certain type of offense, then I cut you off and I'm done with you. So as we see in the Word of God, Jesus had a different definition on the level of forgiveness that we're supposed to exhibit. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. And it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee three, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee, as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. You know your math? That's 490 times. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for your word. And we ask you right now, Father, to just minister to us, Father, in the area of forgiveness. If we're, we've been prone to hold on to grudges or... Uh, anger, bitterness, rejection, anything that could be uh, related to forgiveness, Lord. We just ask you right now to minister to us, Father, that we may be healed of it and be freed from it. We praise and thank you, Father, that we would adapt our mindsets and our hearts to abide with your word. And through your spirit and through your word, Father, you would purge us of anything, Father, that will taint us and prevent us from walking as you walk. We thank and praise you, Father, that it's not always easy, but we know, Father, that if we are yield to the Holy Spirit as well as, to, as your word, we will walk in divine fruitfulness, hallelujah, and, and divine prosperity. And we thank and praise you, Father, for this, as well as the deliverance you would give us from things that we may have suffered recently or even going back to our childhood. In Jesus' name, we praise you, Father, hallelujah, and amen. Hallelujah, amen. And as I told you last week, according to the rabbinical rules of, of forgiveness that they followed at that time, because if, if you're not aware of it, Jesus was a Jew, and he followed the Jewish traditions, amen? So during that time, the rabbinical law said that you only had to forgive somebody three times. After that, you could write them off. I'm done. I want nothing to do with you. Don't talk to me. Don't come near me. I have no association with you whatsoever until the end of time. And just for you to forgive somebody three times was seen as something like, wow, you're a very forgiving individual. So when Peter told Jesus, I'm willing to forgive somebody up to seven times, 
he thought Jesus was going to respond like, whoa, I'm amazed at the level of forgiveness. But instead, Jesus said, I don't want you to follow the traditions of the, of the, uh, that we've have come down through the generations. Instead, I want you to have not only the ability to forgive seven times 70, which would be 490 times, but to have a heart where you're willing to do this over the course of a single day, not your entire lifetime. I know. <laughs> so as I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow, 490 times. I don't know if anybody can get on my nerves 490 times over the course of an individual day. That's a lot of annoyance, amen? That's a lot of stepping on your toes. That's a lot of making the hair on your head stand up. That's a lot of talking the wrong way and behaving the wrong way, looking at you the wrong way. 490 times over the course of one day, if anything, if there's a person even capable of that, you would almost look at that person like, wow, you got a really bad temper. What's wrong with you? Amen? So Jesus wasn't astounded. And what he's basically illustrating here is that we have to have such a heart of compassion and mercy as God had for us that we exhaust ourselves to forgive people. Now, as I shared last week, that doesn't mean that you continue to continually subject yourself to verbal and physical abuse. I'm not telling you to do that, amen? What I'm telling you, though, is that even if you distance yourself from the person that continues to wound you, you're not sitting back there holding animosity. You allow yourself to get free from the wounds and the hurt so that you can move on and you're not held captive or weighed down by what those people did to you, amen? And as I shared last week, there's been people that have gone to extremes of what we might see as forgiveness. People, uh, this one guy, his mom put out a contract to get, her, get his father killed. His father was his hero. He hated his mother for years. Through Christ, he not only got to the point where he forgave her, but he fought to get her death sentence um, changed over to a lifetime imprisonment. Then later on, he went back and fought to get her released from prison. That's forgiveness. Amen. I saw another situation on the talk show where this young man had killed another young man. And not only did the mother forgive him and start visiting him in prison, but she got to the point where she took him in her heart as a son, helped him get out of prison. And now they live side by side. Wow, that's forgiveness. I can't even imagine. Amen. But it just shows you that if you yield yourself to the spirit of God and the word of God, things that we would think would be impossible for us are possible in him. Amen. So I'm telling us to have the level of forgiveness that God wants us to have. Amen. As he guides us and as he leads us. Now, last week we looked at the purpose of forgiveness. And then we looked at the fact that as we're trying to resolve differences with people, we don't have to advertise to the whole world that this person did me wrong. And the problem with that a lot of times is that when you're talking to everybody else except the person that offended you, the word spreads, spreads, and then people add stuff to it. So the next thing you know, by the time you try to talk to that person, they're all amped up and they're ready to fight. So there's a proper procedure that the Word of God shows us on how to reconcile differences that he wants us to follow. Um, and then we talked about the way in which you approach a person, your willingness to hear the other person's side. These are all different things you have to take into consideration, amen, as you talk about reconciling differences. So as we're continuing on today, we're going to look at forgiveness from another aspect. What effect does a lack of forgiveness have on you? Amen. What effect does a lack of forgiveness have on you? Because we may all choose to be angry, hurt, bitter. 
We may choose that you don't understand what I went to, through and I absolutely positively refuse to ever forgive that person for what they did. But did you, do you realize that when you have that mindset, you're not just hurting the person who's out there that offended you, you're actually hurting yourself because you're keeping yourself tied in with a connection that is not what God would deem for you to have in terms of your relationship with that other person. Amen? As you hold animosity, you're held by the same animosity. As you are sending out angry vibes and angry desires for the person's life, amen, you're basically sending out cursings as opposed to blessings that have their own way of coming back and introducing themselves into your life. So God wants us to be liberated from those sorts of mindsets. And like I said, it's not necessarily easy, but it's what God would desire for us to do. So what effect does the lack of forgiveness have on us? The first thing I want to look at is Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. I'll read it again. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Now you may say, well, I'm not wicked. So I don't have to worry about my own iniquities taking me. I'm not a wicked person. After all, I accept that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So that means I'm righteous in God. And you can never define me as being a wicked person or being subject to the things and the consequences that a wicked person would have to adapt to. Amen? Or have to abide by. But the reality is, even though we save, we actually have a higher standard that God wants us to live by. Amen? And there's certain principles that are out there that whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you love God or you shake your fist at him, there's certain principles that are out there that are universal and we have to still abide by even though we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Becoming a Christian did not suddenly mean that the laws of gravity don't work on you. The law of gravity still works. If you're a generous person, amen, having a heart of generosity, whether it's monetary or in terms of volunteer work or just having a heart for other people, a lot of times the love that you give out to other people comes back to you. So there's certain things that are universal regardless of whether you're saved or unsaved. And that being the case... If you have a heart that even though you're saved and redeemed in Jesus Christ, but you have a mindset that I hope something bad happens to that person, or I hope to be the person that helps inflict that upon them, just by the fact that you've taken yourself outside the umbrella of God's principles and now have navigated yourself over to the mindset of this world system, which is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, I got to protect me, myself, and I. Somebody gets me, I'm going to get payback. If you have that kind of mindset, you can expect whether you actively do something or you desire it, that there's probably somebody out there that's wishing the same thing upon you or might help inflict something on you. So for that, for that situation, we have to be careful that we don't allow iniquity in terms of having grudges, offenses, bitterness or something, anger, hostility towards another person to root itself in our heart because the same way we're holding that person captive until they minister some form of, form of penance to us, we're also held by the same thing and subject to the consequences of having that kind of mindset. So we see here it says, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. That word take in the underlying Hebrew means to catch in a net. Actually, it means three things. To catch in a net, 
trap, or pit. To catch in a net, trap, or pit. To capture, occupy, or stick together in a manner that resists separation. So let's break that down. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. You allow yourself to have a mindset that I'm hostile toward that person. I have animosity. I wish evil upon that person. It says here that even though you may have that mindset, if you continue to entertain that thing, the word of God here says it will take you. It will capture you and place you in a net, a trap, or a pit. Which one of us wants to live a life in which we're ensnared, stuck in a cage, stuck in a rut, stuck in a ditch somewhere, trying to claw and get yourself out, and yet you can't get out of there. You're perfectly, perfectly surrounded, stuck, and you can't get out. It kind of reminds me, years ago, uh, I'm a Twilight Zone fan, and they had this um, episode, five, I think it was called Five Characters in Search of an Exit, and Basically, the episode starts, and you see it was weird. It was like a cowboy and a ballerina, and I think there's a physician, and I can't remember what the two other characters were. And they all of a sudden woke up, and they're like, why are we all here? And they're surrounded, and they all had different mindsets and attitudes, and then they started envisioning how we can get out of this thing, and they were trying to claw out and get on each other's shoulders, and then one would say, I got to get out first. And you saw the attitudes, and... You know, the selfishness start to get in. And at the end of the story, if I recall correctly, it was basically like they were five dolls or toys that were stuck into a jar by a child, animated, and they couldn't figure out why are we stuck in this rut. But you saw that even with them being animated, there was a certain amount of selfishness and self-preservation that came into the whole equation that prevented any of them from getting to their freedom. Amen? Now, that's a Twilight episode, but... The reality is some of us, because of our attitudes and because of things that have occurred in our lives and, you know, the, the way in which our relationships intertwine with other people, sometimes we allow these things to fester and grow inside of us. And, you know, I've seen it from time to time. Even recently, I saw in a situation where, um, you know, Pastor Khan ran for the, the, the mayor of Camden. He lost the race, and I saw some of the posts here and there. You could see a little shot being fired by different individuals. And I said, regardless of how you feel about somebody and regardless of whether the person was perfect with you or did you wrong, the fact is, this is a person who's trying to bring Christ and jobs and different things into that community. So you might be having a moment of glee that you lost, ha, 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 but what did the people of Camden lose? Amen? And my thing is, if you're having joy at the fact that he lost, what were you doing all the time that he was running? Were you praying against him and thereby possibly praying against God's will? What was your attitude? See, people will sit back and stay kind of quiet and they'll wait to the right moment to show their true colors and say a little snippy thing or throw a little something out there that really advertises what is inside them internally. And what they don't realize, though, is that if that stuff is coming out of you, it's buried inside of you somewhere, amen? When you can find joy at the demise or the, the stumbling of another individual, that means there's something in you that is not right with God, amen? And you may say, I have perfect justification for what they did. But the last time I checked, we defied God, amen? We despised him when we didn't live for him. We were enmities, at enmity with God, the word of God tells us in the book of Romans. We were at enmity 
You know what that word means? Hatred with God and his principles for as long as we did not serve him. So what if God had the same attitude and looked down on us when we stumbled and said, isn't that what they deserve? They knew they had it coming. So much good could be done by showing love to somebody in the time of their stumbling as opposed to having joy at that. Amen. I've had situations totally reconciled by the fact that those words, that phrase, I told you so, did not come out of my mouth at the very point I knew the other person thought it was going to come. Amen. And I saw God moving up circumstances. And we never know what people are going through and what has caused them to be at the place of iniquity that got them into the place where they offended us in the first place or wounded us in the first place. Amen. We are all been, been prone to not only be the victims, but also to be the victimizers if we really look at it. Amen. If we're truly honest to ourselves, we have all done things to, you know, judge people or, or wound people. We said things the wrong way or said them at the wrong time. If we truly want to be free of that stuff, we have to have a heart of mercy and realize that the key to getting victory over those things is not holding this stuff in our heart and wishing evil upon somebody. The key is to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to purge this stuff out of us so that we can be free. So that whether or not the person ever comes to us and makes amends, we are at liberty with Jesus Christ and we can move full steam ahead into the blessings that God has in store for us. You know, we talked about earlier today, no turning, you know, turning around and moving on to the things of God that are ahead. I think the reason that a lot of people cannot move on is because they spend too much time looking at the wouldas, shouldas, and couldas, and also looking at this person did that, that person did that, I want to get even with that one. We spend too much time focusing and being held captive, as we see here, in a net, trap, or, or pit, worry about a lot of stuff that cannot be resolved outside of the Spirit of God. Because even if that person apologizes, a lot of times it won't be enough. And why can I say that? Because that person can look you in the eye, shed tears, throw their arms around you and apologize. The next time they say something wrong, you're going to remind them of it. Or the next time somebody talks about them, that body language starts to change. Eyebrows start to go down a little bit. Head tilts a little bit. Voice gets a little animated. And how can that occur unless you have not totally released that person of what they did? When's the last time you went to Jesus Christ and said, hey, Daddy, I'm home. I want to sit down at the table and sup with you and communicate. And oh, by the way, somebody cut me off and I said something bad about him, Lord. And God says, well, you did this in 1999 and said you never do it, do it again. You did it. <laughs> you know, and he started breaking down the list. All the different times you did something and said you weren't going to do it again. How will we feel if God did that to us? Amen. So like I said, iniquities, whether it's something due to sin and temptation or is it holding something you're holding in that's not of God about the other person, it not only keeps the other persons ensnared and entrapped, but it also keeps us ensnared as well. And we see here it goes further. Not only will your iniquities keep you trapped or captured in a net, trap, or pit, but it says it will stick together in a manner in which it resists separation. You may even try to break yourself free of the relationships and find that that person's in another state. I haven't seen that person in years, and yet there's still an attachment that is there. 
And until we allow the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to penetrate our hearts to say, cut that connection, amen? We're still held captive by this. And I know because even after somebody died in my life that I held animosity against, I was still having problems that manifested physically to the point where I was in my young 20s and one day I was at work and I was just like all of a sudden like bent over like I was having a heart attack. And it went away. And I went to like another month or so, still going through these feelings that were in my heart and the animosity that I felt towards this person. One day in my house, I was in the bed, like fetal position. Felt like my heart was about to explode. You know, hurting so much, I was about to dial 911 and say, y'all need to get an ambulance here. And then the pain finally lifted off. This time I went to the doctor and my doctor said, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. He said, but you know what you need? A good scream. He said, man, you're holding a lot of stuff inside of you. You need to deal with that. And here's the thing. The person was dead and gone. He's not going to apologize. (laughs) He's not here on the planet Earth. I'll never get that apology. So the work that had to be done was not in my relationship with that person at that point. The work that needed to be performed was in me. Amen? And see, that's what it really comes down to. A lot of times it's not so much about that person trying to make it right or them apologizing, us telling them that, giving them our two cents. It's us allowing God to do the work in us that whether they apologize or not, we don't need it. I'm free of the weight and the hurt of what you did to us. So we see here it says his own iniquities. That's not their iniquities. Your own iniquities will take you. Amen. And it says, you will be holden with the cords of your sins. That word hold, cords there, means twisted ropes. It gets worse. <laughs> twisted ropes, a noose, ouch, <laughs> or the throes of ruin. You're in the throes of ruin. Wow. You know, iniquity shall take the, iniqu- the wicked himself, and he shall be holding in the twisted ropes, the noose, or the throes of ruin. When I see twisted ropes, you know, it just reminds me, like, you know, years ago I had the dreads. And I'm sure many of you as, as women or little girls had times where you would have, you know, your hair in braids, ponytails, or whatever. And one of the things you'll notice about a strand of hair is that it's easy to take either a pair of scissors to snip it or just yank your hair out. Easy. Try to yank out a, a braid, you're going to take some skin with you if you can even yank it loose. Why? Because one thing by itself is easy to deal with, whether you snip it or pull or uproot it. But when a strand starts to intertwine with other strands, there's strength in numbers. And so it is with our, our bitterness, our frustrations, our negative emotions against other people. If you don't deal with these things as they come one by one and have the sword of the spirit and the word of God deal with those things and pull them out of your life, uprooting them from your mind to your heart, and you allow these things to keep building up. And here's the thing. Not only do they build up with the one person that offended you, but you'll find that similar things because the enemy tries to target you. If you have a problem with anger and it manifests first with one person, then you'll find another person that makes you angry, and a third and a fourth, and next you know you're just walking around an angry person. Why? Because if you don't deal with that sin 
when it first occurs, it will build up. Other situations will interconnect themselves. And now you end up with a stronghold that is very hard to uproot out of your heart and your mind. And that's why it's so key. And God tells us to avoid allowing ourselves to be held with these things. Once again, none of us are wicked as a lifestyle. But if we allow ourselves to be subjected to the laws of this world system and the laws of vengeance and animosity and jealousy and covetousness and and wishing um, bad things upon people, you are now aligning yourself where the same results that the world system would get by not dealing with it according to the word of God, you're now subjecting yourself to the same kind of consequences. And that's a sad thing because God always gives us an avenue to overcome these things. We see here, even in our text scripture, Jesus says, forgive 490 times a day. (laughs) How much weight could be off of us if we just did that? Amen? Walk around on a daily basis. That person said something wrong. (laughs) Then you walk around. I can't believe they said that. Did we go talk to somebody else? You believe what so-and-so said? Then they do something again. Or somebody else do something. Then you walk around with what they call a chip on your shoulder. Amen? When it could have been dealt with if we abided by the word of God, which makes it very simple for us to keep ourselves free of this sort of thing. And I know it's not easy. Amen? <laughs> I know it's not easy. We all have buttons that can be pushed in our lives. We all have buttons that can bring hurt into our hearts, but we all need to know ourselves. And then sometimes knowing that there's a certain area that people might touch upon, you need to guard those things. And sometimes before you even get into interactions or phone calls or, you know, personal meetings with these people, you need to gird yourself up in advance, knowing how they're wired, that they might hit the very areas that agitate you the most. Amen. I think a lot of times that we do preemptive, not strikes, but preemptive preparations before we interact with people, that might help us wash some of that stuff off of our backs, amen? But a lot of times we sit there like, every time I see that person, they get on my nerves. Well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Did you pray in advance? Or did you get up out of bed that morning, I know we're going to go at it today. Well, when it occurs, you, you spoke it. <laughs> or you, in your mind, plan for it. But if we're children of God, why aren't we planning and preparing in advance by saying, I know that person gets on my last nerve. I'm going to be prayed up before I even go there so that instead of them agitating me, they'll be sitting there agitating like, Dag, on it. They didn't get on the nerves yet. Sometimes you can agitate people. Sometimes the sweetest revenge, I hate to use that word, but sometimes the sweetest revenge is ignoring them. <laughs> Look at Jesus. <laughs> They're trying to set him up all the time. You healing people on the Sabbath. You doing this and that. Why didn't they wash their hands? They always trying to set Jesus up. Then came the day where Jesus was walking on the scene, and they're like, Rabboni, we found a woman caught in the act of adultery about the stoner. What do you think? Aren't you going to do anything? That woman's in gross sin. Why aren't you helping the stoner? Come on, man. <laughs> Let he who has, <laughs> who's without sin, cast the first song, stone. Then whew, looks back up. Hey, where are your accusers? He got on their last nerve because he didn't do what they expected him to do. Amen. 
<laughs> Sometimes that's the sweetest revenge. But the thing is, we don't do that all the time. Sometimes we allow ourselves to engage back and forth with people, and all we do is build up more and more frustration. And the thing is, the same thing that is in us towards these people, it can start to build up. That's why the Word tells us, amen, we need to be watchful of something happen that's bitter, and by it springing up, it says what? It causes many people to be defiled. Amen? You allow a root of bitterness to get inside of you, a root of anger, a root of animosity, regardless of the reason. Amen? The Word of God sh- clearly shows that it not only contaminates you, but then you become a contaminant in the lives of other people. Amen? Depressed people go around depressing other people. Angry people start fights everywhere they go and make other angry people. <laughs> jealous people go around and spell, spread jealous, gossip. I mean, notice the common thread. And even notice when you look at groups of people that are really, really close. You'll see certain characteristics that are native to that group. That's no coincidence. <laughs> those spirits and those attributes draw each other, Amen. Hallelujah. So we have to be careful that we don't allow these things to build up in our lives. Amen. We see here, as it says, that you will be holding in the course of your sins. Twisted ropes. Even worse, a noose. Those things can strangle you. They'll strangle the life out of you if you don't deal with them. God's trying to make you the best that you can be, and yet your life is in a stranglehold. You're dangling from a noose because I refuse to forgive or release those people or do the word of God. So at the end of the day, it's not that God's word can't do it for you. It's that you refuse to take advantage of the blessings that God has made available for your life. God has given you tools. Use the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to cut off all the things that would encumber you in your life with God. It says in the word of God that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. If you walk around angry, upset, frustrated, hurt, where's the spirit? The word is either true or it isn't. To me, it's true. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you're not at liberty, which means like you're holding down all this stuff in you that's hurting you and wounding you and oppressing you and weighing you down, you're not at liberty. So where is the Spirit of the Lord? The only reason he's not there is if you don't let him operate in your life by holding on to things. So the sad reality is individual things are easy to shake off. Amen? And we have the means of preventing these things from becoming strangleholds in our life. But the choice is ours whether we will allow ourselves to be held captive or if we will take the necessary measures to liberate ourselves. We look at the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. It says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So we see here that contrary to what we saw in the, in the previous passage, which is, Bonds will hold you down, strangle you, and keep you twisted up or trapped. We see here that God is telling us another way to be in bond, to be in the bond of 
perfectness. Amen. Perfectness. <laughs> and there's a few key words here. Um, put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. That word bowels in underlying Greek means inward affection, tender mercy. God says your very insides should be layered or saturated with an inward affection toward other people and tender mercy. That doesn't mean for you to be the world's sucker or doormat or punching bag. There's quite a difference. You can walk in love but still walk in power and authority. But it's just a way in which you conduct yourself. Like I've had times where people quarrel with me, and I could have gone back head to head, especially as, as, as a man a lot of times. You want to kind of stand your, your ground to be an alpha male and don't let anybody disrespect you. But there's times where it's actually more fruitful just to, like, stand your ground for the sake of Christ, if not your ego. <laughs> and God will still um, be demonstrated and be glorified in the midst of those circumstances. You know, and I had that situation, like I said, um, I shared before about the time in the basketball league where we had certain rules and guidelines by which all the, the coaches had to coach and substitute their players. And I kept warning this one guy. It was during the playoffs. I kept warning him, you got to get your best player out. Because the rule was like every half, every player had to come out for three minutes. And he kept keeping this guy in for the first half. And I kept warning him, got to get him out, get him out. How many minutes? Dude, I done sent out ten emails this year. We had coaches' meetings where I detailed the rules. Like, don't play with me. So I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm in my head right now. It's like, seriously? So I'm like, three minutes. Then he's like, both halves? <laughs> you playing? It's like, okay, you won't play. So he got him out the first half, and we're going to the second half. This kid is like destroying the other team because <laughs> they're substituting fairy, this, fairly, and this guy is scoring that will and everything, and we're getting closer, closer, closer to the end, and them winning. And I sat there, they, on the scoreboard, won the game. I walked right over there and said, you just forfeited the game. I got hate mail, <laughs> hate letters. I got called every despicable name in the book in person, by email, and by phone. And the thing is, I'm a warrior at heart. So these people were waiting at the entrance. I actually wanted to, like, stay there for two games and go home and get something to eat. I stayed there for four hours with the people standing over there at the exit waiting to pounce on me. I was like, little do they know. They think they're about to pounce on me. It's about to be a massacre if I walk over there and I ain't right because I know where I can go. I was like, they don't know what they're waiting to pounce on because I was like, the warrior going to come out and he don't take no prisoners. So I sat there sat there. I had a guy, I mean, he, to the point of one step removed from putting his finger on me, he's like, you're despicable, blank, blank, blank called me up, sent me emails and stuff like that. And then when the truth came out and I showed proof of everything that I stated and how I warned this guy during the game and over the course of the season, the one guy that was the most vehement and really discussing the stuff he said to me, he said, well, if you accept it, he said, I'd like to come over to you at the next game and shake your hand and apologize. Now, I could have been like, huh, I'll never speak to you again and this and that. Who do you think you're talking to? And I was like, sure, man, I welcome that. So then we, I got there that next night. I see the guy on the other side of the, of the gym, and I can see he's kind of like, how am I going to be received? I know I told him I'm going to go apologize, but I'm feeling kind of nervous about this. So I saw his discomfort. As soon as we got to the half of that game, I walked over and said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, nothing to talk about. I said, it's cool, man. So on the next time, he's about to apologize again. I'm like, dude, what are you, 
I said, why you? I said, unless you want to say hi, how you doing? I said, man, what you bothering? What you bothering me about? What you talking about? Why are you bringing that stuff up? It's forgotten, man. Let's keep it moving. Gave him a man hug. Keep it moving. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> but the thing is, the the man, the alpha male, the eagle side, could have easily gone there and escalate that stuff up. And the thing is, it wasn't just about me. It's about my character in Christ. Some of them know what I pastor at church. I was a, a member of the board of that league. I mean, I could have, like, wrecked the reputation of the whole league if I acted up. So sometimes it's easier in our flesh to go there or to be geared up to, you want to bring it, I'm ready to respond. But as we see here, God says he wants us to have inward affection and tender mercy toward people. So I had to work out. Yeah, I didn't like people yelling at me. I didn't like being called a bunch of names, but I had to basically put that off of me, not retain it in my memory banks to have ought against this person. And every time this person saw me, all he saw was a demonstration of, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, great seeing you. He saw inward affection and love towards them. Amen. That don't mean we're going to sit down and have dinner every night. We may not go to a sporting event together. We may not, he may never come here. But the fact is, every time he sees me, all he sees is a pleasant welcome. And how you doing and how you been. Matter of fact, one guy, another person, came after me year after year. And then (laughs) when his son graduated, I wrote his son a a glowing reference letter for college. (laughs) After this guy basically harassed (laughs) harassed me for multiple seasons. Some of these people need a life. But anyway... (laughs) But that just shows us God wants us to put on bowels, amen? Bowels, you really think about your intestinal, gastrointestinal system and stuff like that. He wants you to be saturated inwardly, amen, so that so much inside of you that you don't have to fight and work hard to demonstrate love when they act up, amen? He wants us to get to the point where it's so in us that it's not even effort. Just releases. You just reek of it. It just glows on top of you and it just flows out of you all the time that's how god wants us to operate with people now um there's another word it says let the peace of god rule in your heart that word rule means to arbitrate prevail or govern does the word of god rule in your heart and in your mind does it prevail when somebody offends you somebody agitates you somebody hurts your feeling What is the thing that takes priority over how you react? Is it your mind, your ego, your pride, or your heart in terms of being wounded or offended? What takes rule? What takes the precedence in your life? Is it the word of God which says, you know, walk in peace with all people, forgive others as I forgave you? What takes the rule and governs how you proceed after you've been offended? Amen. That's a true sign of whether you're really walking according to the principles of God. Because we see here before that says, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Amen. Are you walking according to God's principles? Is his desire for your relationship with that person taking the precedence over it so that you could say, yes, I'm offended. Yes, that annoyed me. Yes, that hurt me. But because I'm allowing God to take precedence over my life, and that includes every aspect, not just coming to church every week, not just singing songs to praise him or putting an offering in a basket, but I'm truly letting God govern every part of my life. And that means that when somebody offends me, how would he handle it, not myself? 
How would he feel about it? Not myself. How would he speak and not myself? Am I going to let him rule in terms of how I handle the situation? Because we're truly going to be faithful and diligent servants of the Most High God the same way he was offended, we have to operate as he did. You know, Jesus never turned his back on ministering to people. And really, if you look at the relationship with the Pharisees especially, um, those are people that oppose him the most vehemently, and yet he'll, he talked to a Nathaniel and ministered to him. You know, the Roman government was oppressing him during that time. The centurion, a Roman soldier, came up to him and said, Hey, will you heal my servant? And he said, Oh, yeah, I'll be happy to heal that person. He didn't allow personal offenses that came his way to affect how he operated or ministered healing to other people. So God wants us to do the same thing. And we see here that above all things, above your attitude, above your ego, God tells us to put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. That word bond means a joint tie, a ligament, a uniting principle or what controls something, amen, a joint tie. So it's the thing that connects other things. You see an athlete that blows out their knee, they're out of commission for a while. Why? Because that knee joint might not be strong as the upper and lower part of your leg, but if you don't have that connecting joint, the leg is out of commission. Same way with the body of Christ. He wants his principles to be the thing that bond every aspect of our life together. Amen. Not only in terms of our lives, but then the lives that are external to us, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our co-workers, organizations, wherever we're at. He wants the word of God to be the thing that is the glue or the joint that connects everything together. And how can we say that God is connecting everything together when we have ought against people that is unaddressed? That should not be the connecting factor. The connecting factor should be, yes, you did this. Yes, you said that. Yes, you hurt me. Yes, you offended me. But I'm going to allow, we'll dress it, but I'm going to allow our connecting factor not to be the grievance between us, but instead the word of God and what he desires out of our relationship. All right, so that should be the only bond. And, and to be perfect, it talks about us having a state of mental and moral completeness in God. Now, um, the next thing I want to look at, the first one is kind of like an intertwining cord connecting us with other people in terms of our relationships. Like I said, it should be a cord of love, not a cord of animosity, because the same cord that connects us to somebody also has a connection coming back our way. So we should not have these connections of animosity going back and forth. Amen. Next thing I want to look at is uh, a, basically like a towing rope. Isaiah 5.18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope. Woe unto them that draw iniquity. That word draw means to prolong, develop, defer to, or scatter. So in other words, do not prolong any iniquity that you have in your heart. And it says here, do not prolong iniquity with cords of vanity. That word vanity means a sense of desolation, destructiveness, idolatry, or uselessness. So just think about that. We don't want to have any kind of relationships where we're prolonging negativity, 
hostility, anger, bitterness, and other negative emotions. And it says we definitely don't want to have a situation. That, you know, these things are going to occur, but we don't want to be in a situation where they occur and we allow them to keep being prolonged and prolonged and festered and take it to the next level. We need to deal with them right away. And it says here that we, we need to do this because if we don't, it'll build it to the point where the cores of vanity are pulling it as if it were sin with a cart rope. In other words, you're drawing stuff along with you. You ever see a kid pulling along a cart with another kid in it or some kind of toys or games inside of it? He's basically telling us we have to be careful and very cautious that we don't draw iniquity the same way. And the reason you can see that you're drawing iniquity is sometimes uh, you ever come across somebody that, that seems like they're always... Um, either bitter about somebody hurting them or it seems like, oh, the whole world's always just picking on me and I don't understand why nobody appreciates me and nobody treats me well and people just just dogging me out all the time. And you can see like there's almost like this cloud hovering over them. And a lot of times people will try to leave one situation and go to another one only to find that, whoa, I had a lot of conflict here and this stuff is... Follow me here. All right, so now I'll leave this one. And I go here. And whoa, it was in place number one, number two, and now it's following me here. <laughs> and you wonder why this happened. And sometimes it's because there's characteristics that are inside of us, but also a lot of times it's because we're holding on to the residue or the, the wounds and the rejection and the offenses from one relationship, and we're carrying them from relationship to relationship to relationship. Amen. And you're wondering, like, why is this stuff always happening? Well, you're bringing it with you. It's, it's no mystery. You're bringing this stuff with you. Amen? And I'm not saying that people haven't done us wrong, but I'm saying that you could move on. If you're going to take the time to move on from where you're at, why not move to a new situation where you have a clean slate? But if you're finding that the same type of offenses are occurring everywhere, you've got to look and say there must be some kind of pattern or something I'm doing wrong for this to keep following me place at the place at the place. You know, uh, we knew somebody years ago, um, Pam. She didn't work with her, but I think she was a friend of somebody when Pam was a court stenographer over in Philly. And this person, she was the sweetest looking person, but it's like, been married three times. I'm like, either something wrong with you or you're picking them wrong. Because how you keep going time to time to time to time and, this pattern keeps following. That's no mistake. So you need to take the time to look back and say, okay, either something in me that keeps causing this thing to explode in my life, or I'm somehow drawn to it, and I keep pairing myself up to that same attraction, and I need to deal with my attraction so it doesn't pull on me anymore, or I'm pulling this thing with me place to place to place. And the problem with us in terms of if we're dealing with iniquity, is that sometimes we're holding on to an offense from one place, we move on to the next one, somebody does something that reminds us of place number one, and now we flare up, and then it starts to cycle there, and we keep moving on and on and on. But the problem is, if you keep pulling stuff along, 
and stuff keeps building up instead of you removing and alleviating the burden out of your life, at some point, similar to a little boy pulling a cart, if you were to keep putting bricks on it, at one point, it's going to get so heavy, you can't move anymore. You just totally weighed down. Amen? And that's why God wants us to deal with situations as they occur, or at least to make an attempt to try to deal with these things as they occur. You can't always resolve stuff with everybody. Because some people are just not going to be for, you know, forgiving. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to admit they did wrong. Some people are never going to change. And they can apologize 10,000 10, times and say, I'll never do it again. And they'll go out as soon as they leave you and do it again. Some, some people are never going to change. So if you want to change the situation, you've got to change yourself. Amen? Either in how you're trusting these people how you're reacting to these people, how you're holding on to the baggage from what these people do. Something got to change. We can't control them, but we can control us and how we handle different things. So as we see here, it says, whoa. That's a very strong word in the Bible when it has the word whoa. It's like warning, warning, strong warning. Woe unto you that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were a cart rope. It's saying woe unto you. Don't allow yourself to do this. Don't allow yourself to keep tugging stuff on and on and on. And the thing is, God's trying to move us into new places. And then sometimes, some cases, God is trying to elevate us. You ever try to pull a heavy weight up an incline? <laughs> you might be able to pull it on a straightaway. But if God's trying to take you higher and you hold on to that baggage, you're only going to get so far. You may only get halfway up the hill. Or the elevation that God has in store for you if you're holding on to stuff. So what does that tell us? Some cases, we have to cut off the residue of what people have done to us in the past. Sometimes we have to cut off the stuff that we ourselves have done and forgive ourselves. Sometimes we have to, you know, move on and we have to separate ourselves from people that continually weigh us down so we can move freely. You know, each one of us has to make decisions regarding how we're going to move on in life. But God, if we're willing to, we can go to him and he will reveal to us exactly how we should handle various situations. And as we're talking about forgiveness, you know, that's an internal thing. You know, a lot of times stuff is in us and the effect of what people said, only we really know the impact. Amen. Somebody might say something and they may not mean it and it sounded the wrong way. Or they may have said it not realizing that it's going to be something that cuts you deeply. I said that to 10 other people, and they just, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. They'll say it to you like, ugh, it's this deep-rooted wound that will carry with you the rest of your life if you don't deal with it. So only we know the level at which stuff affects us, so we have to be hungry and diligent enough to go to God and say, whatever it takes, purge this thing out of me so it doesn't hold me down and strangle the life out of me. Amen? We have to be determined and diligent to do that. You know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a, a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us lay aside every weight and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we see here the onus is on you and I. 
It's not about, oh, let the pastor lay aside my weight. Let Jesus lay aside my weight. No, let us lay aside every weight. Jesus Christ has given you all the tools you need to, need to lay these weights aside, but do you choose to do it or do you choose to hold on to stuff that is weighing you down and preventing you from moving on to the things that God has for you? It says uh, we need to lay aside every weight, anger, bitterness, frustration, depression, unfor- you know, a lack of forgiveness. We need to lay aside those things. Why? Because it says the weight and the sin so easily besets us. That word besets means to thwart you in every direction. You basically surround it, corral. You might as well be a sheep or a horse. In a, you might as well be a sheep in a pasture or a horse in a corral. You're trying to move on to God. God may even show you stuff that's right before you that he has available. Stuff that he wants to bless you in, new opportunities. And the whole time you're like, why can I never get there? And God might tell you it's because you're holding on to weights. Relationships, negative feelings about people, wishing evil on people, having hostility, whatever it may be. Lay aside every weight and allow God to move you into new situations. Amen. And I've seen it. um, I've seen it in reverse as well. I remember I worked at this job years ago and this boss, he was he's my first one out of college. He was horrible, horrible personality. He trained, championed um, Akita dogs and show, presented them at shows, horses, had this big air conditioner RV for his dogs and, you know, air conditioned corral for his stables for his horses and everything. But he loved his animals but hated people. Just miserable, just horrible. And, like, you know, my, I remember one day the secretary left early because I think her child was sick and there was a letter that he wanted to go out that day. He walked in and she wasn't there. So he came into the office and screamed at me. I'm just like, and he would just do this all the time. Like, I'm mad. The first person under me, they're going to get an earful. I'm just going to scream at them. Like, and I don't care who's around. And, you know, once again, the whole ego thing could come into play. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, you got to help me. <laughs> Nobody will talk to me like that. So you got to help me. And I'm praying and praying. And then I started after a while, because the commute was bad too. I started um, applying to jobs, and I interviewed with this one place. And I remember... Um, the whole time, I was like, Lord, he's a Jew. He's one of your chosen people. I know we're not supposed to curse the Jews. We're supposed to bless them. So I was like, I pour blessings upon him. I speak blessings upon him. So I had interviewed at this place a couple times. Hadn't heard anything. And this one day, he's looking for the secretary again and um, couldn't find her. Here he comes. He comes in. He screams me up and down in front of, like, make it worse. There's, like, a group of women sitting there. It's like, it's all right. Okay, man to man, you're going to yell at me. You know, at least let us man up. Take me to the side. But he, like, screamed at me from a bunch of women. I remember at one point, like, I was all this kind of person before I got saved. Like, I would get quiet. I would talk trash back and forth. And that was cool. But if I got quiet, it's about to be on. Like, three or four people going to be pulling me off you. Because I would blank out. And they say, no, I would come too. They'd be like, man, you better <laughs> see what you t- I was one of them types. Like, they call it snapping out. I snap. I blank out, snap out. What do you call it? I'm sitting there, nine to five job, shirt and tie. This guy screaming me up and down, like embarrassing and frustrating. And all of a sudden, like, I could feel this anger starting to rise up. And then I see, like, my hand starting to go on autopilot. I'm like, no hand, no. <laughs> Don't do it. And I feel my hand starting to go like this. I was like, oh, Lord, I'm about to punch him out. <laughs> so I was like, I feel my hand closing. And I'm telling, no, 
no, evil hand. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And my hand is like still closing. <laughs> so I was just like, I literally put my head down. I just start praying. And, and it's like, I was like, it's like I was in this cocoon. As soon as I closed my eyes and I start praying, I just didn't even hear him anymore. And I felt like that anger coming off and my hand loosened up. <laughs> and I, I, I just, for about 10 minutes, I just prayed. And I finally lifted my head up. I was like, oh, where'd he go? They said, well, you ignored him. So he just left. <laughs> but the funny thing is, first they said that he, you ignored him, so he walked off. Then the phone rang. It was a job offer. So I was like, now what if I had lashed out the way the world lashed out? You know, I made, uh, I was young in Christ, so I fully believe. Y'all can say, oh, well, that's coincidence. But I was like, the phone rang as soon as I got out of confrontation and handled it in a godly manner, and the Lord blessed me with a newer job that paid me more and brought me closer to home. So as a babe in Christ, I'm like, hey, the Lord blessed me because I was faithful. So y'all can say whatever y'all want to me. The Lord blessed me because I was obedient. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so there's blessings in walking in obedience to work to God's word and his principles. And the book of Galatians says that, you know, God's not mocked. Whatever man sowed, man reaps. We walk around reaping bitterness and anger and conflict and animosity towards people. Once again, it's a universal law. You're going to reap back what you're putting out. But if you put out blessings and, and, and mercy and, yeah, you did me wrong, but I forgive you in the name of Jesus. Even if I'm not able to forgive you in and of myself right now, I really ain't feeling you. But, Lord, I ask you to bless them anyway. You can work on me later. Right now, pour out your blessings upon them. And God will bless us just for the faithfulness of honoring his word. You know, years ago, <laughs> you know, talking about holding on to baggage, which a lot of people do. And people go from situation to situation. And how many times you've seen in dating relationships where people say, oh, well, we were going along good for a while. Like, oh, y'all broke up. Why? Well, they had too much baggage from the last relationship. Every time we had this going on, they remind me of, like, person they dated five years ago. Like, baggage well years ago they used to have these commercials samsonite i'm dating myself but <laughs> walter <laughs> samsonite commercials where this one commercial uh they had it was really a man in a suit but they had a gorilla and he was jumping up down the bed with the samsonite luggage and he starts slamming on the floor and against the ceiling against the walls and no matter what he did that suitcase would not open and then he threw it down the floor frustration was jumping up down and the suitcase would not open amen Oh, you're dating yourself. You remember it? <laughs> oh, see? She's trying to rub it in. She's trying to rub it in. Y'all, y'all, y- huh? No, I thought it was a man in a suit. I hope so. <laughs> oh, see, young bucks. They don't know nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the thing is that's funny about that from a spiritual perspective, though, is that God is trying to remove our baggage and some of us, instead of letting it go, we just keep carrying this stuff situation to situation. And then we grab another suitcase when that one gets full. Then we grab a car and we pull that too. And you wonder, like, I'm going into a new opportunity and a job, new relationship, you know, uh, with, with friends or dating or new career objectives, whatever. We're going to all these new things that God has for us, but then we're carrying the baggage. So how can you even see the new people from a pure perspective when 
They told me at my last job. You go on a new job, you're suspicious. All right, let me see who I can trust. You brought your baggage. Why not give them the freedom of at least getting a chance to offend you first? <laughs> we got our wall up, protecting ourselves before they even did anything. And you wonder, like, why does this stuff keep occurring? And realize that when those people at the new place do something, maybe they're jerks, but maybe you're seeing them through the eyeglasses of the other people. And you're not even seeing that they, what they did or said wasn't even the same type of thing. But you're viewing them through the perceptions from the last relationship. So we have to be careful about that. Amen. So we've got to cut the cord, let God have the baggage, leave the cart there, whatever it is. Lay aside all those weights, forgive people, and move into relationships that God has in store for us. I'm going to read um, Hosea 11.4. It says, I drew them with cords of a man and with bands of love. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on the jaws and I laid meat unto them. And this is really, as you talk to about a lack of forgiveness, this is really the worst form. God says, I drew them with cords of a man. See, this is good cords. God said, I'm trying to pull you along. And I'm pulling you along with a loving relationship and communication and nourishment spiritually and encouragement. I'm drawing you along. But, and he says he's the one that takes yoke off your jaws. Amen. And he lays meat on you. He nourishes you. But this is if you allow that to happen. Some people, unfortunately, because they're all boxed up with resentment and animosity and hurt from before. You notice that God says... He takes the yoke, he takes off the yoke that's on the jaws. Why do you have a yoke on your, your, your jaws? Unless you agitate it. Grit in your teeth. Ugh, you're getting on my nerves. Mm. Know what that reminds me of? You ever see somebody had the jaws broke, broken? And they wired their mouth shut? And when you get your wa- mouth wired shut, first of all, you can't speak clearly. You got to, well, oh, okay. <laughs> you're talking like that. You can't communicate right or correctly. Your mouth is wired shut. But then another thing about that is that you can't get nourishment correctly. You got to drink soup or protein drinks or whatever through a straw. So you're not getting full nourishment. And notice God says, I have to come in, draw you with love and take the yoke that's off your jaws so that now I can sustain you with a full seven course meal. You know, Revelation 3.20, he talks about that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. God wants to come in and give you a full seven-course meal. But unfortunately, because a lot of us are holding on to animosity, bitterness, and wounds from whether it's emotional, physical, or in our hearts from relationships before, God is trying to completely nourish you, and we're sitting there like, God's like, I'll, I'll feed you a seven-course meal. If only you release. And we're like, nope. You don't know what they did, Lord. Yes, he does. <laughs> I thought he was omniscient. <laughs> but we tell the Lord, you don't know what they did. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you did <laughs> to me. <laughs> and what you're capable of still doing to me, super saint. Because I know the things that still pull on you. 
I know the things that still entice you, and yet I still love you without having any kind of a judgment or condescending attitude to you. I always accept you in with open arms, but you can't do the smallest amount of forgiveness over the life of the people that have done you wrong. And yet you shook your fist at me before you got saved. You denied me. Amen? The love of God is so incredible. I remember being on the, at the deathbed of an atheist. And this guy was sitting there, um, University of Penn. And I was ministering the word to him. I took him to the Romans Road. And this guy was like, he had like, I think, multiple PhDs, like very intellectual, involved with think tanks. He went on all the time, you know, professing his atheism and foolish, stupid, you know, dunces, these Christians, superstitions. And, I mean, he talked a lot of junk about Christians. Here he is on his deathbed. And I minister to him, and um, even as he's hearing the Roman road and everything, he's like, okay, I can understand that. But his eyes start warding up. He's like, but why would he ever accept somebody like me? He's like, I spent my whole life saying he didn't exist. He's nothing but a fantasy. He says, so even with me understanding that he truly exists, why in the world would he ever accept somebody like me? And I just shared the love of God, and I was like, because he loved you before you were even born. I said, it doesn't matter what you ever did and what you ever said and how much you denied him. I said, he loves you. Just the fact that you're here on this planet demonstrated his incredible and unwavering love for you. And that man accepted the Lord as his Savior. And the funny thing is his wife was saved. She didn't want him to do a do not resuscitate on waiver. He signed it. And before he died, um, about a week later, he's just like, I know where I'm going. And I'm at joy with it. Like, wow, atheist one week, strongly professing Christian the next. That's the love of God. And see, just think about that. What if Jesus said, well, I would have forgiven you, but you promoted a different religion. Because atheism really is, when you get hardcore, it's religion. <laughs> they are so hardcore. And he was basically like promoting the religion of atheism. But yet Jesus never reminded him how many times you denied me. I mean, viet me. It's one thing for like people like I, I just ain't into that religion thing, who are kind of like, you know, easy going about their faith. This guy openly shook his fist and denied it, and yet received the love of Jesus Christ. So think about the mercy he gave you and I. That's an example of his life. But think about the things that we've done and said, and yet Jesus Christ has still accepted us with open arms. So in our text scripture, we saw how. Peter talked about, oh, seven times. Isn't that great? Ain't I special? <laughs> and Jesus is like, nah, 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 not impressed. <laughs> and that's how I'm kind of like where I'm going now. Jesus isn't impressed with our self-imposed limitations. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I shared earlier that I had problems with unforgiveness even after the person died. I still had hatred in my heart to the point where it manifested physically with me, feeling like I was having heart attacks. It had insomnia, all kinds of mess. I mean, it just wrecked, it was starting to wreck my body inside. And, and that's my warning to all of you if you're holding on to unforgiveness. You know, you may not have something extreme as I had where you had chest pains that felt like major heart attacks. You may not have that. But when you get older, you may have arthritis, you may be subject to stroke, all these different things. And that's not just Brian Fox or the Word of God, that is medical science. You hold on to animosity, it eats away at your body, eats away at your organs. 
So God basically gave a prescription for divine health at your old age, even before the doctors medically confirmed it. Amen. So we see here, he says, if you don't forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. So if you have to ask yourself, well, how can I possibly ever forget that person? And you can't think of a, a reason and nobody you talk to can reason with you in such a way that for it to make sense to forgive that person for what they did. Let's take it back here. If it's just for the case that I won't be forgiven unless I'm willing to forgive, then that's reason enough. I want my father, God, to forgive me. Because you know, I went to God after I got saved. And, you know, I had to open up about the hatred I had in my heart. Because it was straight out hatred. And I was like, if I was healthy and that person was healthy, I was, I, I was like, I could kill that person, literally. You know? And... As I got saved, I went back, and the Lord had to keep ministering the word regarding healing and stuff like that. And one day, the Lord, um, he basically spoke to me as I was reading this verse. And he's like, before you got saved, you were a whoremonger. You were a drunkard. You were, you know, profane. <laughs> you know, you, you lusted after this, and you lusted after that. And he said, you were murder. He said, it didn't matter that you didn't do it. He said, in your heart, you were murder." He said, if you had a gun or knife in your hand, you could have committed the act. So he said, you were a murderer. And he said, if I, if I could forgive you, even with that person being dead and gone, you forgive that person. And here's the thing. I could talk about this person now, and here's the testimony. Pam actually told me, when you mentioned the situation that person, she said, I never feel any pain, no animosity, no hurt. She said, I can know without a shadow of doubt you are fully free and are fully forgiven because when I speak about the person now, I focus on the good things. We did this together. He taught me that. We did that and this. Every time I talk about it, it's always about, you know, how God got me past it. And she says she feels no pain whatsoever in me as I talk about it. So I'm a, work that get to, I'm a person that it worked in me. I tell you that if you exhaust yourself if necessary to pursue God, you can forgive. And like I said, that don't mean you're going to subject yourself to day-to-day abuse of any kind. You can forgive and, like, keep it moving. Amen? Because some people, yeah, they will harm you again and again and again. So God is not telling you to subject yourself to abuse. But you can say, Lord, I forgive them. I'm not going to forget, but I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to keep it moving so you can bless me. God just wants you to just profess it. I forgive them, and Lord, move me on. Take that weight off. Take the hurt and the burden off, and God could do it. I'm a person that can definitely confirm that the word of God will work in your life. So the reality is, even if these people are alive, some people never are going to apologize. Even if you point it out to them, they're never going to apologize and never admit. Some people, you come to them, not only will they not apologize, but they'll tell you in your face, I don't care, and make it worse. (laughs) And in some cases, the people that did stuff to us, they were subjected to stuff, so they were victims that were victimizing others. And that doesn't make it right, but sometimes there's... A ripple effect. They didn't know better because they went through it themselves. Or they were hurt by it and it caused them to manifest ungodly behavior. And that's why we had to really allow ourselves to be purified and cleansed through God. So the final thing we'll cover is, what if I refuse or feel that I cannot forgive? You can just write it down for later. First John 2, 4 through 12. He just say, if I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily 
is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, I write a new commandment unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the new true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brothers in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So we see here, if you're in the light and in the truth and keeping God's word, the love of God is in you and it's being perfected. It's a process, but it's being perfected. And he said, if you... Say you love God, but you hate your brother. The love of God is not in you. And not only is it not in you, but you're deceiving yourself and walking in darkness. You're blind and deceived. So if we want to truly say we love God, we have to get to the place where we're starting forgiving, to have a forgiving heart towards other people for his name's sake, for the glorification of God, and for him to perfect the things that are inside of us. Now, I want to, the Lord just put something on my heart. I want one thing to be clear. When I'm talking about forgiveness and loving your brother, this is not an emotional, mushy, oh, I love you. Yeah, you physically abused me as a child. Oh, I just love you. No, that's, that's crazy. You're not going to love that person. They beat, beat you senseless, senseless as a child. You're not going to love them ever. The love we're talking about is love according to the definition of the word of God. I don't wish you harm. I pray God's blessings, salvation, and deliverance upon you. We ain't going to never be homies. But the love I have for you is a decision not to hold an account against you and bitterness and hostility towards you because of what you did. That's the love I'm talking about. Amen? And that's a mental decision you can make according to the word of God. I choose to forgive you, to release you of any penalty you owe me, and I ask that God bless you and deliver you. We ain't gonna be, I ain't going to be around you no more, but I forgive you. See you later. Have a nice life. Amen? Because I think that's where people confuse it. I think, they, I think a lot of people confuse it that, oh, if I walk in love towards you and I forgive you, we're supposed to be, you know, at the club or the restaurant, Sunday supper, supper. No. That's not the forgiveness God's talking about. God's love and, and mercy and forgiveness we're talking here is the decision that I don't hold an account against you. You owe me nothing, and I ask God to bless you. Now I'm keeping it moving. May never lay eyes on you. Really don't want to see you again. Have a nice life. But God bless you. <laughs> so, in other words, that might liberate some of you. It doesn't have to be warm or mushy. It's just that I don't wish you harm. And I hope that God will bless you for whatever evil reason is inside of you that made you do the stuff you did to me. I ask God to minister to that and save your soul as he has saved mine. Praise you, Jesus. And then you keep it moving. Amen. So it does not have to be warm and fuzzy and mushy. And you shed tears, throw your arms. You want to see them every weekend. No. God bless you. I love you. I wish his blessings upon you. May you get saved, delivered, and healed. Praise God. Bye-bye. <laughs> and when I think about you, I no longer have any wounds coming up in me. I don't feel like, oh God, I'll, you know, you, you're not sitting there like, oh, dear, 
so-and-so um, got in an accident. looks bad. <laughs> and you feel them lips curling up like the Grinch. <laughs> That's when you know you still got stuff in you that got to be worked out. <laughs> All right, and then I'm going to give you one final one. Luke six thirty-two through 36. For if you love them which love you, what thank ye have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So here's the kind of mindset we should have it says here basically like once again god's not impressed and we shouldn't think of ourselves as these superstar followers of jesus because we love those who love us that's easy (laughs) y'all getting along (laughs) it's that simple the true test of your spiritual maturity and devotion is somebody's dogging you out and you still show them love anyway amen that's the true test that you can go to people and say you know what don't worry about that or or they apologize i accept your apology if they don't apologize, you walk in love with them anyway. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to keep your eyes open that they might try to dog you out. Like I said, it's not a call to be a, a doormat or a punching bag. But you can still walk in love and a level, certain level of um, authority in God as you interact with them. But we see here the true reward is not in the apology from those who have offended us. The true reward, which is the greatest reward that there is, is the reward that we get from our Heavenly Father. He is the one that rewards us. Amen? So as we're evaluating relationships, once again, whether it's current relationships, work relationships, situations going back in our family, or even going back to our childhood, as we're evaluating those things and the Lord reveals to us or we have them come back to our remembrance that this person did me wrong or this person hurt me. The main thing is our Heavenly Father will reward us if we simply have the mindset that I'm going to forgive them, even if they never, once again, pay penance to me, make amends, or come to me and really profess that they're sorry for what they did. The true reward is in our Heavenly Father and how he blesses us. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, forgiveness. I think this is always a big issue (laughs) in the body of Christ, really in the world in general. And you see so many things that... um, situations that took on a life of their own and exploded because of people holding on to animosity towards each other. It's probably one of the biggest problems out there in the world today. Somebody offends somebody and then it just spreads like wildfire. You probably have even nations going at each other over initial offenses that could have been dealt with in a godly fashion. Hallelujah. So we're just going to um, pray um, prayer of releasing and blessing upon those who have offended us. We've all been recipients of it, and we probably all also have been distributors of offenses if we want to be true. 
I don't know about y'all, but I don't walk on this cloud where I'm just taking bullets and shots from everybody, and I never dish them out. I try my best not to dish them out, but Lord knows sometimes I could be smart behind, saying it the nice way. (laughs) And it's just sometimes I, you know, the sense of humor at times, sometimes say stuff impersonating in a mood for it. So the one thing I try to do in the lives of other people, I'm always quick to apologize. I apologize like that. You know, and then a lot of times I don't get the apologies, but I'm at the point now in my life, like, it ain't worth hindering my walk with God to be waiting for it. I got better things to do and greater things to focus on. So, and that's just me. We all have to get to where we're at. So, but I try to have the mindset that I just need to take it to God. And I don't, I really at the place now, I don't even expect people to apologize when they, when they dog me, dog me out or talk about me. I really don't expect it. I just like, Lord. Because half the time don't come anyway, so <laughs> I'm smart enough that now I know, like, why am I even expecting it? If it comes, well, praise God, it came. But I pretty much don't expect it now. <laughs> and that liberates me, though, because my, the alleviation of my burdens and the weight is all focused on him doing it. I don't expect people to do it anymore. So when it comes, like, oh, wow, that's like sprinkles on an ice cream cone. Wow, they actually apologize. Whew, it's a miracle. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> hallelujah. Anybody wants to come for a special prayer, feel free. I'm going to pray a, a corporate prayer, though, regarding forgiveness. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank you, praise you, Lord, that you be glorified in our lives. And, Lord, even as uh, we've all gone through things, Father, in our childhood, during our scholastic years, uh, throughout our young adult lives, whatever stage we're in, Father, we've all been in circumstances where people have said or done things that have hurt our feelings, um, stepped on our toes, bruised our egos, um, just hurt us to the core of our heart. A lot of things, Father, have still stuck in our minds as we think about situations or things that were spoken or done. Um, Even in times where situations occur with a new group of people, different things come back that agitate us, Father. And that just shows us, Father, that it's still a level of um, unforgiveness that is still buried in our minds and our hearts. So we right now repent, Father, of holding on to any animosity because we know that it's contrary to your word. We praise you right now, Father, to take, off, take, take out and purge through the sword of spirit, the word of God, which is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We ask you right now to purge, hallelujah, every ungodly attitude, and desire that we have towards people that have wronged us or hurt us. We ask you right now, Father, to um, alleviate any of the weights that have been upon us, Father. Just lift them off totally, Father, so we could be liberated in you. And we praise you right now, hallelujah, that you pour out your salvation, your peace, your deliverance from all those who have done us wrong. And, Father, if there's anybody out there that we have wronged as well that we have not apologized to, or we may not be even aware that we've hurt them. We ask you right now, Father, to forgive them. I know over the years, Father, that as you had me reflect back on um, my college years, especially um, just being a, the average guy, there was probably a, a females that I hurt, Father, that put more into the relationship than I did. And I've prayed over the years, Father, that you would, um, um, even though I may never lay eyes on them again, as the thought of me would come up, that you would pour out your forgiveness upon them and you would just minister to them if there's any area in which I hurt anybody. Um, I just pray this, Father, over our whole congregation. If there's people out there that we have not seen over the years and don't even know how to locate them that we have hurt, we ask you right now, Father, to take away 
the burden and the hurt that we place upon them. And, Father, let every cord, every entanglement, every stronghold that's been um, bonded between us and other people that's ungodly be totally destroyed. And only let us be attached and connected to people through the Spirit of God and through liberty. And we thank you, Father, for this. There's relationships in our families that are uh, have wedges in them right now because of things that have occurred. We praise you, Father, to destroy the wedges, mend the breach, and bring people back under a spirit of reconciliation. We praise and thank you, Father, for peace. We praise and thank you, Father, as we would abide by your word and speak forgiveness and walk with a mindset of forgiveness and mercy, Father. You would bless us in every area. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.